You're listening to Living a Vintage Life by Retro Chalet. Thanks for joining. Here's your host, Cindy Fanastock Schaefer. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Today I'm actually doing what you wanted. Uh, talking about Melmac. You know, I run Melmac Central, a blog that I started over 10 years ago, had over a million visitors land on the site. And basically, it just has free information, pictures, identification on different Melmac and Melamine. Um, my story is collecting Melmac way back when I was a teen, uh, trying to go out on my own after high school, getting my first apartment, and by necessity, I was forced to buy cheap plastic dishes um, from the thrift store, and I started collecting different pinks for my kitchen, and then found out that there was like a million and one manufacturers. And throughout life, I kept trying to assemble sets, and then it became a hobby and a pastime and then of course my real job interfered and my uh, under basement here is probably overfloweth with Melmac but I did keep the blog up as a free resource for people to identify um, their dishes. Now one thing I want to talk to you about today is boutonware. Um, I get a lot of email about this. I get a lot of messages about this um, asking me to identify Melmac. I'm not really a Melmac identifier per se. I think it's really fun for you to go and try to look at old ads and try to identify your line. But I will give you some information on the company. Now, I've actually been to the site where Bootenware Factory was. Now, I grew up in Baltimore. I was imagining in my head this giant factory towering above me, maybe made of brick or stone several floors. Not the case. Um, the Bootenware Factory was located on Myrtle Avenue in Boonton, New Jersey. Um, very industrial area, hired a lot of people, but it was literally, when I say mostly one story, it was mostly one story, a long, elongated white building. Um, and within this building, they did lots and lots and lots of molding. Their company dates back as far back as 1921 that I could find. Now, there may be more information out there. There is a Bhutan Historical Society that knows way more than I'll ever know. Um, but just in my own research, I actually came across one of their rubber molding books that they literally put out in 1921 because they were involved in rubber molding. And then over the years... They left me a paper trail that I was able to follow in my research. Um, in a 1941 Plastics Encyclopedia, uh, Booten took out a full-page ad, um, and they listed themselves as the Booten Molding Company, and they had a different back stamp back then. It was like a BMCO in a funky circle. Um, so, you know, if you ever get your hands on some super old plastic and you're like, what is this weird symbol BMCO in a round circle? I've never seen this before. You might actually have an early uh, piece of Booten that was molded. Now, keep in mind, Okay, Booten was a plastics manufacturer, so they would do jobs 
for anyone. So, you know, if you were ABC Plastic Company and you needed 3,000 rubber combs made, you may call Booten. Booten would mold them for you and put your back stamp in them. So it's very interesting that all this plastic floating around the world and all this vintage plastic, you really don't know who molded it. Just because it says on there, ABC Comb Company, doesn't mean that ABC Comb Company made that comb. It could have been made by Booten. So this was always interesting to me to find out who the molder was and why. Now, Booten was one of the few molders that molded for others and their self and, and ended up being very successful with their own line of Melmac dinnerware that we know as Bootenware. But Let's talk about Booten. So, back in 1941, um, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing all the plastic terms right, but they molded plastics, phenolics, P-H-E-N-O-L-I-C-S, phenolics, ureas, which is like early Bakelite-type plastics, um, and thermoplastics. So, thermoplastics is a whole different process. So, basically, their little ad says... Boot, New Jersey, Everyday 1941, one complete molding plant known as Booten Molding Company containing within its well-designed interior numerous injection and compression molding presses of all sizes, but all modern. For the molding of today's thermoplastics and thermosetting plastics, mention that it had room for a few discriminating customers. Quote, I have plenty of satisfied customers, the plant said who use me as their own molding department. That's the kind of service I have to offer to some more people who demand service on time deliveries and who expect me to solve their difficult problems and who are willing to give me their wholehearted cooperation in the solution. I like to make an honest profit and I pay my boys what they're worth. They work hard enough for it, Lord knows. So no job takes precedence over any other because of a more tempting profit margin. He goes on to say, I'm equipped to handle an order of 100 parts or a million equally well with equal efficiency. And one more thing, I'd like my prospective customers to look me over. Come on up and see me sometime. I'm running 24 hours every day and I'll be glad to talk to you and show you around. Now, this came out of the owner's mouth in 1941. I don't want to put names out there because I'm not 100% sure uh, who said that, and it's not listed here in their ad. But what is very interesting is they published this in the Plastics Encyclopedia, and this would basically go out to anybody who needed to either hire a plastic plant to mold for them um, or, you know, was interested in swapping or selling materials or buying materials to mold their own plastics. But basically, it would talk a lot about the construction of molds, different machines, the new machines coming out. Um, people would actually sell old machines in the classified section in the back, or they'd they'd run ads for their for their product. But what I find interesting about this molding plant um, is he's basically saying, big or small, whether it's a hundred pieces or a million pieces, we can help you. What's very interesting as well is he talks about how hard his employees work. They're running 24 hours a day. And as I said in a previous podcast, when I talked to somebody who ran a Melmac company, he owned a Melmac company. Uh, well, it was actually a plastics company and he molded the plastic dishes. They were running 24-hour shifts and they had to actually give out salt pills because it became very hot in the warehouses with the machine 
machinery running um, constantly. Now, this is 1941. They're in a one-story elongated building. Um, there were a lot of windows in some parts that I saw, but some parts not so much. So I can only assume it would have been very, very hot. Pays the guys well. They work hard, big or small. He's willing to take your job. Well, Booten was very successful doing lots and lots and lots of jobs. We go fast forward to 1956. Um, they're basically uh, talking about their research and delivery and experiencing craftsmanship, compression molding, mold making now. They can make a mold for you. Um, they have fair pricing. They're great at customer relations. Back to the injection molding and assembling and engineering. Uh, and basically it says, calling Dr. Booten. He's off again. The phone never stops ringing these days. Dr. Booten gets so many calls because he's got the right remedies. They had a very cute ad and it basically talked about the doctor is in. He's ready for you. He's got an answer to your problem. So they would do a lot of working one-on-one -on -one with. And on that note, we'll be right back. This podcast episode is brought to you by S. Dicker MD on Etsy. Let me spell the name for you. S D I K H E R M D. Go to the Retro Chalet Favorites and look for my podcast sponsors. They offer great graphic designs to fit your lifestyle. My favorite thing in their shop right now is this wonderful t shirt that says, Dogs and horses make me happy. Humans make my head hurt. That's how I feel most days. Thank you so much to them sponsoring this episode so I can talk and bring to you what I love most, vintage items. Please check out their shop for awesome vintage style and great graphic designs. Brought to you from Canada, shipped to the United States, comfortable and great. If it's easier for you, just simply go to the show notes on this episode and you'll have a link straight to their Etsy shop. S. Dicker MD. Make sure you go and check them out. S-D-I-K-H-E-R-M-D. Customers, and that's also what made them very successful. Delivery on time was a big thing. A lot of manufacturers would be backed up because plastics was a huge thing from a drinking cup to a rubber comb uh, to a collapsible. Huge. A lot of companies were doing sample plastics given to customers, little tiny ice scrapers for your car, keychains. All this stuff took time. And if you had too many jobs and you got backed up and you weren't delivering on time, this was a real issue. Um, basically compression molding, he lists men and machines, the best of both guided by progressive engineering and production executives. So basically in this particular, um, ad, they're talking about two offices. Now let's go back to 1941. Their molding plant was in Booton, New Jersey. But in 1941, they had a New York office in the Shannon, it's C-H-A-N-I-N, Shannon Building, Shannon Building, however you want to say it, at 122 East 42nd Street in Murray Hill, New York. By 1956, in this particular book that came out in September 1956, he talks about being in business for 35 years, again, putting us back to 1921. If you take 1956 minus 35, you get 1921, and that is succinct with the book that I found about them molding the early rubber uh, plastics. So we can honestly say that Booten was 
in business as we know it, at least since 1921. Um, so by 1956, not only did they have their New York office as well in the Shannon building, same address, 122 East 42nd Street, but they also had a Connecticut office, which had a P.O. box um, in Tuckahoe. Um, I don't know why it says Connecticut office is the P.O. box 486 Tuckahoe 7 New York, but then it says the, the phone number was Woodbine 1 2109. Kind of funny because phone numbers back then, um, you would dial, you, you know, they would say like Oxford 7, Woodbine 1. It was just the way you dialed the actual phone number. Um, it, in case you wondered, Booten's phone number back in 1941 was telephone Booten 8-0991. <laughs> so anyway, um, phone numbers were very either four to five to six digits back then. So to make a long story short, let's fast forward to Booten being a full-time 24-7 running manufacturer of people's plastics, but then they decided they're going to come out with their own. Now, the best thing they ever did was work with a woman, a very high-esteemed designer, which I'm so happy today she's getting the credit she deserves, um, but she is unfortunately no longer with us. Um, she was born in 1902 and died in 2000, making her 98 years old. God bless her. Her name was Belle Kogan. Um, Belle Kogan was actually Russian-born, and she came over here and tried to get into industrial design. Um, now, you can imagine back at this time when she's first starting out, this is a man's world. Men are in business suits, and it's dog eat dog. No offense to men, but it was very difficult as a woman designer to be taken seriously back then. Um, but she did. She did it. And she got involved with silver and pottery and worked for some great companies. But one of her most, in my opinion, successful things was working with Booten. Booten Bell. That line, Booten Bell, is named for her. Now, they didn't really put her name out there as much as they should have, but I would like to think that she designed most all, if not all, of Booten. Because, um, first of all, you you have to really follow the paper trail, okay? Um, bon Bon Pink was was one of their famous colors uh, in their Boot and Bell line, and actually many of the many of the lines they had. They had other lines as well, like a a Patrician line, which was a thinner plastic, um, and basically was more or less like an everyday China service. Um, and then the Boot and Bell was thicker and had the curvy, you know, the curvy. Um, I like to say mod designs. Uh, you could get that in speckled or see-through, which they called the see-through candescent because um, you could hold it up to the light and see through it. And just absolutely beautiful. The Boot and Bell was their most popular line um, for collectors today. Many people that I know collect that because of the way it looks and the curves. The Patrician line came in a lot of different patterns. Um, one of the more collected patterns and one of the more um, definite Bell Kogan, wonderfully made ones, in my opinion, is called Scandia. Now, there is a whole thing about her having a Scandinavian influence. Um, I think she might have actually went to Scandinavia, did Scandinavian designs, um, or something of that nature. Um, but this Scandia is amazing. Um, it is a very cute pretty 50s pinkish flower on a white background and it was paired with 
pink saucers, pink fruit dishes, and solid white cups. So this was a way in which they applied the design decal to the plates and then used solid cups, solid saucers, but they would mix the colors up to coordinate with the design. So for instance, um, if we go back to, I want to say, 1958, uh, we can follow the paperwork and look, and you could get a 16-piece set, which were four 10-inch decorated patrician Scandia plates. Um, they were white with the design, and then you could get four white cups, four pink saucers, and four pink fruit dishes for only $19.95. If you wanted a 45-piece set for your whole family, it was $64.95. Now, this is back in 1958. That's pretty expensive back then. That's running hand-in-hand hand with the cost of a fancy china. So this was not cheap. But remember, they were using Melmac. And what did Melmac say? It's unbreakable. You can drop it. You can be careless with it. Uh, and Booten definitely used the Melmac powder so they could use the Melmac name uh, in all of their marketing. Not only would Melmac market them in their once a year, you know, Melmac ads, uh, highlight the different lines that were coming out, but they could also advertise that they were using the real molding material Melmac. Um, in fact, they actually have one ad out there for their bell uh, in 1953 that talks about being careless and you can drop the plastic. Um, so when we look back, you know, the the Melmac coming from Bootenware alone with Bootan Bell uh, are out there floating around. So, you know, I get this question all the time, like, can you identify this line? What is this Melmac worth? First of all, there are so many designs, even I don't know what they all are. Um, I had a reader write in and um, they didn't know what their design was. It was really pretty blue. Um, it was like a blue purple flower on white background um, and it had solid blue um, cups and white saucers. And I found out with a lot of research that it was called Laurel Line. L-A-U-R-E-L-I-N-E. I did post an ad on my website, uh, an article actually, if you research it on Melmac Central, you can find it. Um, but Laurel Line, I actually found back in an old hardware age magazine. Um, it was listed in 1952. Uh, and then basically their set was from 1956. So it's kind of um, interesting that there were different lines, like the Patrician Line, Laurel Line, um, Scandia, you know, different Different lines, different patterns, patterns that would stand over a few years and be offered, and then patterns that came out, they didn't sell so well, and they were discontinued. So a lot of times, you know, people will write in and say, well, what what is this pattern? And it might have been very rare because it might have been something that they debuted. It didn't really take off. Only so many sets were sold. And, and basically trying to find information on that pattern now is, is going to be very hard. So... When you're trying to identify your pattern, what you want to do is look at old Bootin ads. You can simply Google Bootinware ads. You can look at old Life magazines. A lot of them are digitized. You can look for Bootinware keywords and try to find your Melmac and eventually try to find um, what design you have. But that doesn't necessarily mean when you know the name of it, like let's just say it was Laurel Line, you're not going to be able to type in Laurel Line and finish your set because nine times out of ten, all these other people that are selling these purple and blue bootenware dishes don't know that they're named Laurel Line because not enough information is out there. So this is where collecting gets so interesting because you're trying to complete a set 
you know, no one knows the name now, but you, after you've researched it for a year, you finally found it, but now you have to complete more pieces. So what do you do? So then you start basically searching for the characteristics of your set. You know it's got blue and purple in it. You know it's got flowers. You would type in blue, purple, flower, bootin. Uh, blue, purple, flower, Melmac. And eventually you will find completer pieces for your set. It's very, very difficult. Now, mainstream, most people are collecting the Bootin Bell. Uh, Bell, like I said, was more popular. More pieces were produced. Um, and they always ask me, well, what's it worth? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. What's it worth to you? You know, I've seen sets in the original box that I've had sell for $400 because it's in the original box. It's mint. It's unused. And it comes with all the advertising materials. That is a collector's dream. Um, also, the covered casseroles. The, the lids to the casseroles are super hard to find. They're out there, but they're usually in colors that people you know, aren't really hip on collecting like the maroons or the dark greens. Uh, and I a lot of the speckled line, and I don't know what the name is off the top of my head, but they were Boot and Bell speckled pieces. They're very rare. Um, those are pricey, as well as this candescent line, very pricey um, and hard to find. So my, my advice to you is if you have a mint boot and wear set, you know, you can get top dollar for it or expect to pay top dollar because these dishes were used. They were used and abused by the housewives of the 50s and their families who ate off of them. They didn't spend, um, you know, $64.95 to, to have it sitting in a china cabinet. They spent $64.95 of their hard-earned money back then, uh, which today would be a couple hundred dollars in our economy. Um they didn't just spend a couple hundred dollars to make it look pretty in a china cabinet. They actually used it. So, you know, finding mint dishes is going to be hard. Um, there are millions of pieces floating around out there. And I strongly suggest you collect as much as you can to assemble your set and then worry about swapping out your not-so-great pieces for better pieces down the road. So if you see a scratched-up piece of china in a thrift store, um, you know, you might not get it. But a scratched-up piece of plastic for your Melmac collection, you may decide to pick it up for $1.95 because you may not see another one in quite a while. Now, a lot of people don't understand what these designers went through. You know, if Bell Kogan was anything like Russell Wright, from, from what my research suggests, that these designers would not only design the way that the plates and the cups and the design should look, but they would also design the way the boxes would present their china. They would design some of the advertising materials. They really wanted to have a hand in start to finish. And I really think that's what made Booten Manufacturing Company so successful. Not only did they have a hands-on approach of being honest, hardworking, work with the small guy, work with the big guy, and they came across as paying their employees well, working hard for you, the customer, um, and appreciating their employees, um, as well as hiring someone back in the early 50s, a woman designer, when it was hard to be a woman designer, and her influence on their Melmac it, it was like a salt and pepper. It was like a peanut butter and jelly. It was exactly what the company needed. So Bootin was wildly successful. Now, you know, let's fast forward, okay, to 2010. 
Um, it's kind of funny because I actually read an article that in 2010, um, Bootenware actually a company um, back then, uh, GMR Technology was a plastics molding company that purchased Bootenware name and rights in 2001. So even though the Bootenware factory is long gone and the Bootenware that was once on Myrtle Avenue and what once belonged to, to Booten, there's other companies in there now. Um, but this company started, you know, designing Booten from the mold. So you might actually find a piece of Bootenware that you might think is from 1950, um, but it's actually from 2010. So I encourage you to do your research, um, you know, and, and really research before you list something as vintage. Um, now, if you're interested in seeing what the Bootenware factory looked like, you can go to Melmax Central, which is the retrochalet.blogspot.com, um, and you can type in Bootenware factory tour. Um, pictures are kind of crappy because remember 10 years ago when I was riding by in Booten, New Jersey, my phone was 10 years old and the pictures that it took was not like the iPhones of today, but it'll give you an idea of what your favorite plastic company looked like. I encourage you to collect Bootenware. It is widely popular, um, widely wonderful, and it's a great thing to collect Something from a company who truly, truly cared about what they were doing was a leader in their um, in their sect, if you will, and treated their employees good, hired a woman designer, and they just basically kept their equipment modern um, and. The owner was really hands-on. And kudos to them for lasting so long and withstanding the test of time. So in the molds, that's wonderful. Show your support for my podcast by hitting the subscribe button and leaving a five-star review on your favorite player. Keep me talking about Melmac and all things vintage. I appreciate you and see you next time.